You guys can have a seat. Well, how are you guys doing this morning? <clears throat> Excuse me. I got to um, let you guys know that there's been some interesting stuff, just interesting, that we have two brand new worship team members up here today, Tracy and Dylan, and, and they just... <clears throat> I love that. I love watching God uh, bring more and more people to serve here, and uh, and that's Rowan's second time on drums. And uh, and I I told Greg I said um, I said Greg we're the old guys. He goes hey well, I said old old guy stuff. And I said hey old means we've been here more than three times. Okay that that that's that's what old means. Uh, so there's one guy I want to recognize before we get into the to, to the message today. Um, I, I was over here on Friday, and uh, Dale. Lewis showed up. He's the guy that, that, that mows everything, that he, he serves all the time behind the scenes, and he was here mowing. And uh, on Wednesday, we, our, we have a homeschool co-op that meets here on Wednesday, and we have our children's ministry here on Wednesday, and a bunch of the homeschool co-op kids and a bunch of our kids got lit up by a nest of yellow jackets, which had taken root, ground, ground wasps, whatever you want to call them, out in, the, out in the children's yard back there. And so I was getting calls, said, hey, there's a yellow jacket, something, and well, in seminary, they taught me how to put a sermon together. They didn't tell me how to kill a yellow jacket. So, so uh, I, I was over here, and I was talking with Dale. and said, Dale's like, yeah, I got lit up by him about two weeks ago. So I was like, okay, these guys have got to go. So I moved into full predator prey mode, okay? Like I was a predator, and I was praying I wouldn't get stolen, stung, you know? Uh, so I got one of those big cans, not the small ones, but the big cans, like the 40% extra and I found where the, 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 ground, the hole was, and I saw the yellow jackets flying in there. And, and Dale said, are you seriously going to go take them out? I said, yeah, I'm going to take them out. And he, and, and he goes, I want to film. I said, do not video this because if I miss and I get lit up, man, I can just see that going viral on TikTok. You know, pastor gets lit up by yellow jackets. So I spray, I get out like this, and I spray the yellow jacket nest. And I'm, I read the, the label later it said you're supposed to use one quarter of the can I used the full thing there was there was stuff spilling out of the of the hole just to make sure but uh, so hopefully they have no yellow jackets back there but guys um if you want to know what a pastor does throughout the week uh yeah that's yeah they don't teach us that in school but Dale I want to thank you so much for all of your work and and everything uh and making this place look so nice yeah wonderful there's so many people involved in ministry in our church. It's wonderful. Anyway, guys, we're in a series called Move to the Right. And like we've said before, it has nothing to do with politics. It's about where you are and taking the next step. Uh, one of the things that we want to make clear here at Catalyst is the path from non-committed, you know, non-believer to fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not an easy path, but we want to make it clear. Does that make sense? It's not easy, but we want to make it clear. Okay, Christianity is like a bicycle. If you're not moving forward, you're falling off, you guys. And so we want to make that process from non-believer to fully committed disciple as clear as possible. All right? So uh, what we want to do is, is just make it very clear. If you guys see the, the banner back there, it says move to the right. And there are five categories. Over here on the left is the casual. The casual has no affiliation with our church or, or with Christ or anybody. Okay? That's what the casual. The next move is, is the crowd. That means you've been here at least twice. So it's very easy to move from the casual to the crowd. Just come back to church. That, that's, that's easy. Okay? And then now we're talking about moving from the crowd to the community. Okay? Um, and and what, that, what that means is this. We define the community category as this. A church member 
And if you want to know what a church member is, come to Starting Point next Sunday after church. Uh, lunch is going to be down there. I teach it about what it means to be a member of Catalyst. All right? Um, so you, you a church member gives two time slots per week, Sunday worship in a community group and possibly others, uh, and who ties. And you're like, whoa, that's like super Christian. That's like two slots a week and you tithe? And how, how sad is that that an American Christianity would have considered that? fully devoted. That's just like the basic, that's baseline, okay? But in the, in the community, you're no longer a visitor. You are part of the church family, okay? So that is moving to the right. So here are the things that have to happen to move from the crowd to the community. <clears throat> First thing is this. You have to believe the gospel. First step is believing the gospel. Romans 1, 16 through 17 says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. Okay? So, what does it mean to believe the gospel? Well, I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said this, You never know how much you believe something until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death to you. See, we have lots of people that say they believe a lot of different things. But... It, you don't know how much you believe that until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of death. The light begins to cost you. <clears throat> so that's what I'm going to use for belief. Something that you know and that you believe even when it costs you and may cost you dearly. That's what it means to believe something. So the gospel, to believe the gospel, you say, well, what is the gospel? It's very easy. We talk about this all the time. There's good news, there's bad news, and there's good news. This is what the gospel is. <clears throat> good news is, God created you. And God doesn't make junk. He created the world, and he said it was good. That's the good news. The bad news is we blew it. This thing, this thing called sin enters our hearts. We, we uh, have done things that are against the will of God. We've done things that, that are, are labeled as sin in the Bible, and because of that, we are, by default, headed to hell. That's the bad news. The good news is God created us and, and called it good. Bad news is we blew it. And now, because of our sin, we are deserving of hell. But the good news is, is that Jesus arrived. He, he took on the form of a human, fully God and fully human, died on a cross, was resurrected, and beat sin <clears throat> so that you and I could be redeemed to how God originally created us to be. That's what the gospel is, right? So the, the, the problem is, is that a lot of people don't understand the good news, bad news, and good news. They don't understand the bad news part. We don't like the bad news part because that's unpopular. We don't like hearing that you and I, barring an intervention from Jesus Christ and saving, we're headed to hell. We don't like hearing that. So that's not preached very often, but that is the truth. I ask people to say, well, why, why do you say people are going to hell? Well, I say, let me ask you another question. Why did Jesus die on a cross? If we were not headed to hell, why did he die on a cross? Why was he resurrected? Okay? That, Jesus believed that we were going to hell. And that's why he went to the cross and was resurrected. He believed that. And if he believed that, I'm going to believe it too. Okay? Uh, in, our, in our society, a lot, a lot of people are looking for affirmation. Well, Jesus was not into affirmation. Jesus was into transformation. See, the rich young ruler approached Jesus and said, hey, what do I have to be, do to be saved? Jesus didn't say, hey, you're okay the way you are. He said, no, you have to sell everything that you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. When he, he didn't affirm, he 
he pushed for transformation. When the woman caught in adultery in John chapter, uh, in John chapter, uh, I lost a chapter, in John, um, caught in adultery, he didn't affirm her. He saved her life. And then he said, go now leave your life of sin or something worse will happen to you. He wasn't into affirmation. He was into transformation. And the list goes on. We hear so much about affirmation these days, but not much about transformation. And by believing the gospel, you open yourself up to be transformed, not affirmed. Okay, see, the problem is, guys, Jesus isn't here to affirm you in your brokenness and your lostness. Okay, he loves you way too much for that. He's calling you to transformation. And, and honestly, I love that. Guys, I know I'm broken. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I've got bad attitudes. I don't want Jesus to come in and say, hey, you're broken. You're, you've got a bad attitude. You've, you're it, wonderful. Keep going. I don't want that. I want someone to show me the way out of that. And that's what the gospel is. Someone showing you the way out of this and inviting you into transformation. That's what it means to believe the gospel. That's the first thing that has to happen when we move from being in the crowd to being in the community as we move to the right. Okay? The second thing that happens when we believe the gospel, and we don't just believe it, but we believe it as, even if it costs us. The second thing is this, is that we need to be baptized. Second step is baptism. If you've never been baptized, hear this. It's a command. Acts 2, 37 through 39. This was in the day of Pentecost. When the, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and, and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for, whom all, for all whom the Lord God will call. So I get this question a lot about baptism. Um, I, a lot of people have been baptized, a lot of, a lot of baptism out there, a lot of different thoughts about that. I want to clear up some things about baptism. I don't, I don't know. There are a lot of different uh, church backgrounds in here. There are a lot of people who have never uh, been part of a church before. We love the fact that you're here, but everybody is here. So let me clear up a few things about baptism. The first thing that the first question I get is what actually happens when you're baptized? What actually happens? Well, the first thing, according to this, is that repentance happens. Okay? That's the first thing that has to happen. Um, somebody told me that regret was feeling sorry for what you did, and repentance was feeling sorry enough to change. The difference between regret and repentance? Regret is feeling sorry for what you did. Yeah, I feel bad about what I did. But repentance is feeling sorry enough to change. Um, when I was doing youth ministry in a church down in Tennessee, we were part of a community group, 20, 20s and 30s, great people, great, great, great people, great friends. And as young Marys, 20s and 30s, like I said, a lot of us were hashing out what it looked like to, to be married, to raise kids, and things like that. And this one lady, she, she was a great lady. We, we loved her to death, but it was, let me, let me just tell you what it was like. She said the same thing every week. She would, we would be talking about things, and she would just say, well, I'm just the meanest person to my husband. I am so mean. I am impatient with him. I criticize him. I don't know why I'm so mean to him. I'm just not a nice person to him. Next week, I'm just the meanest person to my husband. I am so impatient with him. I criticize him. I don't know why I'm so mean to him. I'm just not a nice person to him. Next week. I'm just so impatient with my husband, I don't know why. It was like listening to Henry the Eighth I Am on repeat 24-7. It, it, seriously, it was. It was the same thing every week. How many of our prayers sound like that? The same thing? 
week after week. And how many of us have really gone to God and said, okay, God, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, God, this is the last time we're going to have this conversation. This, this, this is it, God. I'm telling you, God, this is the last time. How many of us have had that conversation with God? Absolutely. Well, my question is this. It might be. I'm not saying it is, but it might be because you've never repented. Okay? You, it might be you've never truly gotten a devastation from your sin. You've never really repented of it. There's a part of you that still loves it and still wants it to be in your life, whatever it is. Okay? There's a part of you that still has a place for it in your life. And that's why you keep having the same conversation. The spiritual terms, that's known as a stronghold. If you want to know what a stronghold is, is whatever has a stronghold on you. That's what a stronghold is. And in and, and, and spiritual terms, that means that you've kind of left the gate open and Satan can get in and he can establish a foothold. And no matter how many times it happens, it's still there because you've made a place for it. Okay? See, I, 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 real repentance is a brokenness over your sin, a godly sorrow where you realize that what is actually happened. I describe God, godly sorrow as like devastation. Like, like I don't know, the, the only feeling, that, the only way I could describe it to you is maybe, let's say that you drive drunk. And when you're driving drunk, you hit a family. And in that car wreck, when you wake up in jail the next day, you realize that there were two kids in the back seat and you killed both of them. That feeling that you would have, that's what devastation is. That's what happens when we truly repent. You realize the extent, the extent of what you have done against the glory of God. That's what repentance means. And until we've had that moment, I think we're just going to keep coming back to our sin, back to our sin, back to our sin. Okay? Right, so, so the first thing that happens in baptism, we, we repent. The second thing that happens is this, the forgiveness of that devastation, the forgiveness of your sin. Everything you've ever done that was wrong, terrible, ugly, awful, deceitful, you name it, it is gone. And not just gone, paid for. Um, if you've been around Catalyst for any stretch of imagination, you've heard this before. I don't care because it's awesome. When I was, in, when I was a youth minister, I used to ask my kids, Who's that most evil person that ever lived? And they were, you know, Hitler, Stalin, you know, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. You know, those, those, those people, those people. And I was like, no, 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 no. The most evil person that ever lived was Jesus Christ. And they're like, what? How can you as a pastor say that? I said, follow me. Because on the cross, Jesus didn't just take your sin. He became sin. He became, in that moment when he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? The Bible, it, 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 he became every murderer, every rapist, every serial killer, every liar, every racist, every, you name it, every adulterer, every murderer, every, he became that on the sin. The most evil person that ever lived was the one who never sinned ever. And he took all of that willingly and when he died, our sin died with him so that you can be forgiven forever. And that's a deep and abiding truth. That's what happens when you're baptized. Sin, past, present, future, gone. Okay? And the third thing that happens in baptism is the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of sins and the gift of, your Holy, of the Holy Spirit. Um, one of the things that I was taught when I was a kid in church 
was that Jesus is in your heart. There's children's songs about Jesus being in your heart. Well, actually, that's not correct theologically. The Bible tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. The part of God that is in you is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He's known as the comforter. He's known as the counselor. And when you are baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was with you, but now he is in you and begins a process of transforming you into the person that Jesus wants you to be. That's what happens in when you're baptized. So repentance, forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we don't live the way we used to. That's what happens when we're baptized. But what so many people get wrong about baptism, get this, because a lot of people that get this wrong, and I've talked with several pastors about this, and it's so frustrating to us, okay? The baptism is the starting line, not the finish line. We have this wrong thought in the church that the goal is baptism, that if I just get everybody baptized, then that's it. It's like you've graduated from high school. I, I, there was a stretch of time here I kid, in this church where I was afraid to baptize anyone because every time we baptized someone, we never saw them again. They were in church. They were, they were, they were in, you know, in church every Sunday. They were in relationship. We were having lunch with them, doing discipleship, baptism. All of a sudden, we never see them again. And it was because they believed baptism to be the finish line. Not the starting line. Baptism is the wedding ceremony. It's not the funeral. Baptism is where you begin life with Jesus Christ. When I was in seminary, I was very troubled by this very childish cartoon. And I took a picture of it, and I have it. I had it. This was all the way back in 1999. I'd just become a father. And this bothered me here. And it shows a maternity with a maternity ward with an infant crawling out of it and the nurse saying, okay, you're on your own now. What a powerful illustration of what people get wrong with baptism. If you all are parents, I'm a parent. When you give birth to a child, do you just say, okay, job's done. No, you take that child home, you, you feed, you nurture, you teach, you raise that child because without a parent, the child's going to die. In the same way, when a new believer is baptized, it is not the, it, it, they're born, it's like an infant, and we can't let infants crawl out of the, out of the church because they'll die spiritually. The, the, baptism is the beginning point of discipleship, not the end point. And the second thing that people get wrong about baptism is that it's a symbol not a talisman. It's a symbol, not a talisman. So I'm going to put on my high school letter jacket. Now, I feel kind of like Steve Martin and Father of the Bride trying to get into his tux. Okay, this doesn't fit me very well anymore, but this was my high school letter jacket from 1992. Okay, now this jacket is a representative of something that I used to do, okay? I used to play soccer in high school and college. Putting on this jacket, you all, all of a sudden doesn't mean that I can run the two mile in the time I could when I was in my 20s, when I was in, my, in high school. It doesn't mean that I can get out and play soccer against Dunbar and against West and against the, the, the top programs in the state. I, couldn't, I can't do that now. I'm 49. I'm pushing 50. I don't have the endurance. I don't have the quickness anymore. This is simply a symbol of something 
that, used, that, 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 that represented me a long time ago. The problem is, is that I know Christians that wear their baptism like a letter jacket. They say, hey, I was baptized 30 years ago. Well, I played soccer 30 years ago. This, this doesn't mean anything. I can't do that now. Okay? This does not represent who I am now. Okay? I can't wear this. I can't wear this and say, hey, I'm still a soccer player. I can't do that. And I know Christians that, that, that wear their, their baptism like, like a letter jacket, and it represents something, a commitment they made 30 years ago, but they can't do it now because they haven't been discipled. And they still think that because they're baptized, they made some profession of faith a long time ago, that they're okay when they're living in complete disobedience to Jesus Christ. Okay? Your baptism does not save you. Your, your, your love for Jesus Christ, your relationship with Jesus Christ, saves you. Baptism is a symbol, okay? Like this letter jacket. It's also like the wedding ring that I wear. The wedding ring I wear is a symbol of a commitment that I made to my wife 27 years ago, okay? And I wear this as a symbol of a commitment I made, but it's this, this ring is only real to the extent that my heart is turned towards my wife. I can wear this ring, and I can be completely abusive, can I? I could emotionally, physically abuse her. I could be neglectful. I could leave and not come back for two or three years, and I'm still wearing the wedding ring, so that means I'm a good husband, right? No. No, this wedding ring is only real to the extent that my heart is turned towards my wife and the relationship that we have. And the same thing, baptism is like that. It is only real to the extent that your heart is turned towards Jesus Christ and the relationship that you have. Okay, baptism is not the finish line. It is the starting line. It is the wedding ceremony where you begin to live with Jesus Christ. You begin to walk with Christ. And you begin to build and, and, and be discipled in your relationship with him. Let's stop getting that wrong, church, because I'm tired, honestly. I'm tired of people using baptism like some type of talisman or some type of, 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 of good luck charm when you're not living in obedience to Christ. Okay? That's what people get wrong about baptism. So let's get the repentance, the forgiveness of sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit right about baptism. And let's stop wearing baptism like a letter jacket or like a, like a wedding ring and using it as some symbol of something that no longer describes us. Okay? That's what people get wrong about baptism. From Catholic community, the third step is committing to the church. Okay? Third step, after you believe the gospel, after you're baptized, you commit to the church. Um, I'm not much of a gardener, you guys. Got any, anybody here with a green thumb that, that likes to plant stuff and like flowers and trees and stuff like that? Okay, my question is this. I need your advice. Um, I got an apple tree the other day, and so I planted it in my yard. And so I'm thinking like in 18 months, maybe a year, I'm going to dig it up and plant it in another part of my yard. And maybe like five years later, I'm going to dig that one up and plant it somewhere else. And maybe like two years later, pick, what, what do y'all think? Is that, a, is that a good gardening plan? How, how much fruit is that apple tree going to produce? How's it going to do? Is it going to do well? No. No, it's not. It's not going to produce any fruit at all, is it? What about Christians in the church? What if... We go to one church for 18 months, and we go to another one two years later, and another one five years later, and we church hop, 
Are we ever going to produce fruit? No. We're not going to because it takes long term. It takes long term to do discipleship. It takes a long time to develop trust and relationships. It takes a long time, decades even, for a fruit in your life to be produced. And so we commit to a church, one church, and we stay there. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I had a conversation with a guy uh, a couple years ago. And he was like, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. And he goes, well, I don't go to church. I'm like, okay. I guess he thought it was going to shock me, but... There are a lot of people who don't go to church, so it's not really that shocking. He goes, I feel like I can follow Jesus better at home. And I was like, sounds great, man. I can't wait to see what happens next. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, you're following Jesus better. One of the commands Jesus gave us was to make disciples, right? And he's like, yeah. And I said, so last week there was only one of you. And next, this Sunday, there are going to be two of you because you're following Jesus better, right? You're making disciples. And because you're following Jesus better, you're going to train that person to make disciples. So the next week, there'll be four of you. And because you're doing a great job of following Jesus, then there are going to be eight of you. And then there are going to be 16. And then there are going to be 32. And then going to be 64. Brother, you are planning a church. Do you really think that was happening? And he, and he said, I... He said, that's not what I'm talking about. I said, well, you said you were following Jesus better. I said, are you really not following Jesus? Guys, there's this very, very sick thought in our culture right now that I can be a Christian without being part of a church. I've seen it tried. It's a 100% fail rate. Within a year, maybe a year and a half, the person that says that is living a life that looks no different than any other non-believer. Once you disconnect from the church... Your, your spiritual life is, is it, it's, it's over, okay? You're just not going to do it. It says, let us not, uh, let's consider how we may, we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We are here in the church, why? To encourage each other, to make disciples who make disciples. That is why we are part of a church. That's why committing to the church is essential to moving to the right, to being a Christian Okay, so this is what we expect if you're a church member at Catalyst Christian Church. This is what we expect, okay? We expect you to be here on Sunday morning unless you're traveling sick or out of town. Then we expect you to be online, okay? We have our online service. There's no excuse ever for missing church, okay? So, so we expect you to be here every Sunday unless you're sick. And then we expect you to be online. And the second thing we expect is we expect you to be part of a community group. All right, and if you'll find out one of those things, that's what we expect of people who call Calvary Christian Church home. Now, there are other things you can be involved in, like men's Bible study, my parenting class on Wednesday night, uh, you know, discipleship groups, things like that. But that's what we expect out of people in, in the community. That's how you know you're in the community. You've committed to those things, okay? And then, so, step, committing to the church is essential. I've, I've, like I said, I've seen it tried. You're never going to grow without it. And the fourth thing is this. Fourth step is personal growth. This is the stage of life where you begin taking responsibility for your own growth. Okay? And this is when you begin studying the Bible, when you begin developing a prayer life. Um, Hebrews 6.1 6, says this. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that will lead to death and of faith in God. So we're, we're not supposed to stay in the elementary teachings. We're supposed to grow. 
grow. We're supposed to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. We're supposed to, uh, we're supposed to study the Word of God. We're supposed to be praying. We're supposed to be in a Christian community. Um, right now, guys, um, you have absolutely no excuse for not reading the Word of God. You can actually get the Bible on this. I use the YouVersion Bible app. It's with me wherever I go. Um, I actually um, made it, uh, it, it's on my homepage, on my social media, you have, to put, you have to put two things to go to that. I made it that way on purpose, so I could actually go to the Bible before going to social media, okay? There are all types of Bible reading plans. You can read the whole Bible. There are topical things about, about love, about dating, about parenting, about marriage, about uh, grief, anxiety. There are focused Bible studies. There are probably two or three hundred different things that you can do on there. Just click on it and it'll give you a daily reading for the day and a devotional. It's right on your phone. We as Americans have more access to the Word of God than any other people in the history of the world. We have no excuse. To whom much is given, much is expected. And so this is the time where you begin reading and studying the Word of God and you begin growing yourself all right so not only do you begin reading god's word second you need to find another christian who can disciple you right and find another christian who can disciple you i learned this from our friends over in india and nepal they they do so they do such an amazing job of discipleship the 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 pastor will have three or four disciples he calls them sons they call him father that was kind of confusing to me because there's like a 60 year old guy calling a 30 year old guy father uh, I, I thought maybe it was lost in translation. No, 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 not at all. That 30-year-old was discipling the 60-year-old, training him how to be a Christian, following them. They, they, they just did life together. It, it was amazing. I'd love to see that in the church. If you're, a, if you're a mature Christian, call up someone. Say, hey, let's meet once a week. Let's study the Word of God together. Let's pray together. Let me show you what it means to walk like a Christian. Let me show you what it means. Let me show you how, how as a husband, let me show you how to be a better husband to your wife. The mistakes I made, I'm going to pass those on to you and make sure that you don't make those same ones. Um, the, the things I've learned, I'm going to pass those on to you. Um, as, a, as a parent, I, I've, I, I've made some mistakes, but I figured some things out. Here, I want to show you how, how I did it. That's what discipleship is. Um, these things about Jesus that, that, that I didn't know, I learned. Now I want to show you. That's how you know the church is really functioning when that is happening spontaneously within the body. Okay? So, guys, if you say, that, hey, I'm ready to move from crowd to community. Hey, that sounds good to me. I'm ready to believe the gospel. I've, I'm ready to be baptized or I've been baptized. I'm ready to join the church. Okay, what do I need to do? I'm ready to move from the crowd to the community. I'm glad you asked. First of this, repent and be baptized if you haven't yet. Okay, we got a great baptistry right there. It looks a lot like a hot tub, okay? But it's a baptistry because it's in church, um, all right? And, and so we will be happy to baptize you and, and lead you through that. The second, join the church. Come to Starting Point next Sunday. Just, just uh, we'll have a registration link. Just tell me, just sh- show up tomorrow, uh, next Sunday. It's downstairs. It's two hours long, Okay. Join the church. Learn what it means to be a, a part of Catalyst Christian Church. Third, sign up for a community group. Community groups are going to be open. We're going to be starting uh, uh, on the 10th of September. Some of them are already starting right now, but they officially start the 10th of September. You've got plenty of time to get in one. And download Version Bible app on, onto this if you don't have a print Bible. Get a print Bible. Start studying it. Start reading it. Uh, that, those are the things that you have to do. And that's the things that, that we, we recommend you doing. Uh, to move from the crowd to the community. And I want to close with this, my favorite story of all time. Earlier, I said, you don't know if you believe something 
until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death to you. The greatest tightrope walker that ever lived was a guy named Charles Blondin. He was from France. And around the turn of the century, around 1900, he strung a tightrope over Niagara Falls, 50 feet, above the, 50 feet in the air above Niagara Falls, above the falls, so there's a long way down. And about a crowd of about 10,000 on each side gathered the Canadian and the United States border, and they watched Charles Blondin walk across the tightrope from the Canadian side to the United States side. And when he got done, he got to the United States side, he jumped down, and the crowd just went wild, cheering. And he said, I am Blondin. And the crowd's like, yeah. And he goes, for my next trick, I'm going back across. But this time, I'm carrying someone on my shoulders. And then he goes, do you believe I can do this? They're like, yeah, that's going to be awesome. He goes, okay, which one is it going to be? Who is it going to be? Dead silence. Finally, one guy said, all right, I'll do it. And he got up on Charles Blondin's shoulders, and this crowd of believers watched them inch their way back across the tightrope to the Canadian side. See, 10,000 people said they believed that day, but only one really did. And my question is this, Catalyst Christian Church, are we going to be the 10,000 who say we believe until it might cost us, or are we going to be the one that gets on Jesus' shoulders when he says, do you believe in me? Yes, I do. I'll get on your shoulders, Jesus. I actually believe you can do this. My question is this, who's it going to be? Are we going to be the 10,000 or are we going to be the one? My prayer is that the people in this church, when we say we believe, when we say we believe in Jesus, when we say we believe in the resurrection, when we say we believe in life eternal, when we say we believe in the gospel, that we actually do at the risk of our lives, the risk of our reputations, the risk of our friendships, at the risk of everything. That's what it means to believe. In Catholic Christian Church, let's not be the ones in the crowd saying we believe, yet we really don't. That's what it means to move from the casual to the community. So next Sunday, we're talking about moving from the community into the core as Jesus calls us deeper and deeper to follow him. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.